need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where myself, Jeff, and Eric. Hi. Hi. We Hi. go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order, and we're almost done, man. I was I was shocked almost this morning. I, I looked at the filmography because I knew Ready Player One was coming up. And and uh I was shocked to see we have we have three films left. Four if you count the Jurassic. Yeah, uh, three core films. Which yeah. I even I knew we were getting there, but after watching the post this week, I was like, let's see. Oh, Player One's next. And then there's only two other movies after that. Right. Neither and, of which uh, I've seen. They're both going to be new to me. So, And they came out like within the last calendar, not calendar year. Uh, what's the opposite of that? Very recently. Fiscal? Yeah. 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 Within 12 months or so of each other. Um, so uh, we watched The Post from the year it came out. Because, again, I forgot to pull it up. Uh, from the year it came out, 2017, starring, let me know if you've heard of these people, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, heard of them? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. vaguely familiar with them. Meryl Streep was in that Mamma Mia, so, yeah, I know her pretty well. Of course you do. <laughs> Way to actually sell it. I'm like, did he think I was serious? <laughs> anyway, uh, also, uh, now, Bradley Whitford, he was in a, did, was he in a movie we did recently? Like... I don't. I feel like we've seen him before in a Spielberg film. No, I feel like we've seen him before too, and I can't quite place it. It'll probably pop into my head halfway through this, and I'll just yell it out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I mostly <laughs> when I see him, I think of Billy Madison, um, because he's like the main bad guy in Billy Madison. Uh, anyway, also, um, Sarah Paulson, uh, from Ratchet fame, Allison Brie is here uh but I, one thing that i found most notable is both members of mr show right david cross and bob odenkirk yeah at one point they're standing right next to each other like leaning against the wall in tom hanks's office and i'm like oh it's bob and david like i didn't quite catch it before that uh, well I, like i heard david cross's voice first and i'm like dang that sounds familiar and i see him okay okay yeah it's david cross and then bob odenkirk is there too i was like that feels like someone called in a favor. Yeah, it does. It does feel like like they did that on purpose. Um, Odenkirk definitely has the bigger and better part here, but it's still fun to see David Cross kind of running around the bullpen and everything. Yeah. Um, so what's your history? Did you see the post? Have you heard of the post? Okay, yes. I have heard of the post. Um, I remember when it was nominated for Oscars. I remember Streep getting the Oscar nomination for it. I did not see it at the theater, as is typical these days. Um, I I want to say I pulled it out of the red box and watched it, but it was it was uh, similar to Bridges Spies, where like I know I've watched this, but I can't remember specifically what it is about politically. Like I remembered like the big, the big thing was like, they're, they're arguing over whether or not to, to run a story. Right. Yeah. But I, I couldn't remember specific. And this is only five years ago. So this is really shows how much my brain has become a sieve about some of this stuff. Sometimes. Um, I think I will remember it after. I think this, this viewing kind of cemented it in my head, but it's funny because I, I watched it with my wife, uh, the other night and like, 
two thirds of the way through it, she looked at me and said, have we, have we seen this before? We've seen this before. Like, this seems very familiar. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we did. We, we, so both of us had kind of, uh, forgotten, you know, a lot of key points about the movie. Um, what about you? Uh, no history whatsoever. Didn't even know it existed. It reminds me when you're talking about your wife being like, have we seen this? Um, I watched the movie cursed the Christina Ricci film for another podcast. And I'm like, I've, I've seen this maybe I've seen this. no I haven't seen no no I, I've seen it like just it was like so distant like a fog in the background but it's crazy I do that sometimes with, with books like and books are an investment like it's, it's good 20, yeah. 20 hours reading a book and I'll get a book out of the library and start reading it and like a few hours in realize like oh I've actually I've read this book before just last night uh, there's a new show on uh, on Amazon called The Power and we started watching the trailer for The Power, and it got about halfway through, and I was like, oh, shit, I've read this book. Like, I know <laughs> I know what this is. Totally yeah. had forgotten that the book even existed. I probably read it 10 months ago. Totally forgot that it even existed, you know, and, and then, you know, finally it clicked into place what it was for me. But, yeah, man, I forget stuff. It's it's sad times. Yeah. Uh, one person I forgot to mention is Jesse Plemons making his second his return. appearance in a Spielberg film. <laughs> Um, getting a little bit more to work with here, I think. Uh, so this movie does surround um, the Vietnam War is kind of in. Now I'm not super big on history. Was the the Vietnam War spanned like five pre- three presidencies or like yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Secret- I didn't realize that secretly it did like. Uh, I want to say Eisenhower was the first one to kind of like stick some troops over there, right? And then uh, it was kind of going on like unbeknownst to Americans. Like it was kind of like this secret military thing that was going on. Uh, and it became more more and more apparent as time went on until it reached like that crux in the late 60s and early 70s where everybody was like, what the hell? Get out of there. You know, um, but yeah, all through Kennedy's administration and uh, Johnson's administration and on into Nixon, um, it, it was going on that entire time. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it was that sort of a sprawling time you know capsule because most of the time these things tend to span one president you know at least in my lifetime it's like well yeah you think about the vietnam war and you think of like the late 60s and early 70s right like you think of good morning vietnam and platoon and like like force gump when it was like super active war and all the guys were being drafted and draft dodging and the hippies and you know like all that stuff but in reality like i think it probably started as we're gonna send some dudes over there and they're just going to keep the peace. We're going to send some dudes over there to keep, you know, the North and the South from going into open warfare, right? And then as time went on, there's like, okay, we're going to send some more dudes over there. Oh, look, they're encroaching on this spot. We're going to send some dudes over there and get them out of there. You know, and it just kind of kept expanding and expanding and expanding. And, uh, you know, the American people uh, who were not, active military or didn't need to know just weren't necessarily informed about it until it was this broiling bubbling mess that everybody got involved yeah so uh so our story surrounds mostly meryl streep who is the publisher and i believe owner of the washington post yes uh 
and her editor in chief, Tom Hanks, um, who's playing Ben Bradley, they happen upon. So they have a scoop at first that gets essentially scooped by the New York Times, right? Or they're in the middle of doing something, but New York Times already has the information. And they publish. And it's it's kind of like they hear through the grapevine that the New York Times has something big going on. They've got this one investigative reporter. He hasn't published anything in a long time. And they kind of just get like their hackles up like this guy's got something big going on. He's got something, you know. And so they start kind of poking around the edges and trying to figure out what what the New York Times is working on because they know they're about to get, you know, dunked on. Uh by the New York Times. And then what happens is uh, Streep's friend, uh, oh, what is his name? What is his name? Uh, Robert McNamara, played by Bruce Greenwood. Yes. McNamara comes to Streep and says, oh, this thing's about to get published in the Times and it's going to be bad for me. You know, and then, you know, the Times does dunk on them <laughs> and release the fact that they have these papers, which are... known as the McNamara or the Pentagon Papers, the McNamara Report. And it's essentially a research project done by this off-site think tank called RAND. And it stretches back to the like Eisenhower administration. And it's a comprehensive history of all the decision-making and military involvement in Vietnam. And it is like mad damaging (laughs) to everybody because it basically shows that you know through all these administrations they were perfectly aware that they were in a losing battle that you know the the end game was hopeless and they just kept pouring more and more resources and more and more american soldiers into this mess knowing full well that you know they were in a losing battle and, right. and it kind of became one of those things where, like, the presidents were like, well, I'm not going to be the one that loses it, so I'm just going to keep it going until the next guy can take responsibility for it. And they were all playing past the buck while at the same time escalating it, you know, like escalating, escalating, escalating. And, and the end result is thousands and thousands and thousands of American soldiers are killed, you know. Yeah. Um. So they're playing this this political game with people's lives and it's all laid out there in just black and white in this, in this report. Yeah. And, um, so I think the background, the backdrop for the story is really interesting. Um, and I, I really like where it ends. Um, but I have to say the first hour of this movie is dry and dull. (laughs) So, Meryl Streep is, again, the owner. She has inherited the paper from her family. And um, according to the synopsis, anyway, she's the first female newspaper publisher. Um, and it's just kind of the the legacy of the paper and the tr- struggle she's going through as the, the publisher and having to do events. I just found a bit dull. Um, I, I didn't care that much. Uh, at least in the first half of the film. Yeah, I think we we talked about this, I think, in Lincoln, how it kind of starts and it just takes off running and it expects you to catch up with who all these people are and what the situation is and what the relationships are and what's at stake. And and, uh, I agree with you. I feel like Lincoln did it a little better (laughs) Um, because, yeah, there 
there was a period, I don't know if it was like the full first hour, but there was definitely some catch up to do. Like there was a lot of like, you know, pausing and asking my wife, who's that guy? Like what, what's, <laughs> what's going on? Did you catch that? You know, and like us bouncing yeah. back and forth on each other to try to like kind of keep up with what was happening before it finally does. It does click into a groove. I can tell you the moment where I was like, okay, I'm on board now. So for most of the first hour of the movie it's it's establishing that the paper is about to go public uh, because if they don't i guess they're going they're going to have to close their doors uh so the, they're about to go public and raise money through the stock exchange and you know they're having to try to get some sort of big story to get the the regard of the post uh, into sort of the national spotlight as opposed to just being the washington dc paper um and there's a lot of or, um, and it runs throughout the movie of Meryl Streep's character dealing with misogyny, people doubting her specifically just because she's a woman. There's one guy in particular who uh, is played by Bradley Whitford, who is more vocal about his uh, doubts about her leadership. And again, it all boils down to uh, she's a woman. Um, and so... The second half of the movie, that subplot, I don't, I don't care whether your paper's going public. Don't care. I, like, it means nothing to me. But her arc does become really interesting at the end of the film. And and it's kind of important to, I guess, lay this groundwork, even though I didn't enjoy, <laughs> I was bored through it. Because there are so many characters that it introduces that I don't care about. And the newsroom isn't really doing that anything particularly interesting for the first hour or so it's just kind of establishing your characters and it just takes a while i sent you a gif of you know someone being bored um and that was just like uh i think i think me. it's spending that first hour kind of laying out the stakes and and i think it's it's a an act of cinematic trickery because you're you're not really you're not really catching how it's all going to come together, but then it does all come together and you're like, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Like the, the whole thing about the paper going public, um, like it, it was historically true that the paper was going public during this situation. And so they were by, by choosing to publish the papers, they were uh, genuinely endangering the future existence of the paper itself like they could have just lost the whole thing um and been jailed for doing this you know if it had gone the wrong way um but it it takes a really long time to set up what i just said in two sentences right yeah <laughs> like like uh yeah there's the a, stakes are high is basically the thing yeah and but what it's doing while it's kind of rolling through that is, is it's also setting up like that system of misogyny that she's working through like these guys are dicks and even tom hanks is very dismissive of her like this is the woman who owns the paper that you work for she is the publisher she's the boss and like she she tries to give him some direction over dinner and he's just not having it he's like i heard well, i heard I, you the first three times you know like the character to me though is this would do the same thing if the the publisher were a dude to me and i can't prove it really but that's the sort of vibe he puts off like i mean the government is telling him not to do it he gets a phone call from the white house saying retracted he's like fuck off you know so i think that 
in a world of misogynists, I think that he's just doing what he would do anyway. Like if his his publisher was like, we can't do this, he'd be like, come on, we can't. You know, he'd pull the same thing he was doing here. He'd try to coax them and convince them into it. Maybe he has to do it with his partners and. That's just my feeling of the character. I think I think his his relationship with her is a little complicated. Like I think they have a good working relationship together. I think they're very comfortable um, with each other. They've known each other a long time. They clearly move in the same social circles, which are like high powered political social circles in Washington. Um, we can get into that in a little bit. Um, but I also think that he doesn't have any real empathy for her in the position that she's in like maybe he is just treating her the way he would treat a dude but he's not necessarily i'll agree with that like cognizant or respectful of the fact that she's up against all this other oppression coming in from different directions right until his wife puts him in check like there, yes. there's a pretty important scene where his wife's just like in a very gentle, loving way, bitch, you don't get it, you know? And she, like, breaks it down for him a little bit. And then he's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, and, and, and goes back to her and kind of, yeah, uh, you know. So, like, he does have his, like, coming, you know, light bulb moment, you know, where he yeah. realizes. Uh, no, I agree that he does not care, at least initially, or have sympathy for what she's going through. Um, but I also... I don't, again, for the character as presented to the film, don't think that necessarily has to do with her gender, uh, at least with his relationship as yeah. the character is portrayed. Um, but, and, you know, and like you said, his wife puts him in his place. And at that point, he becomes very uh, empathetic and gets on board and becomes part of the team uh, with her. And so, like, the first half of the movie, she really isn't that involved in the paper she just kind of lets him run it at least that's the feeling we get like you just take care of it it's fine i've got to go to this gala i've got to introduce this thing i gotta be the face of the paper and but i don't actually do anything there yeah and there's a scene not a lot of decision making process you know on her end yeah, and it feels to me like maybe she is uh, falling into the gender role that she feels she's been assigned to by society of, you know, I just do this. There's a scene where the the husbands and wives are there at dinner and then the, the talking turns political and one of the wives is like, well, ladies, that's our cue. Let's go to the other room. Yeah, and you she know. gets up and goes with them and it's really, it, that is a really great scene because like, I don't know about you, but I was like, she she shouldn't get up and go. Like, she's maybe like the second most powerful person in this room, right? Right. And she gets up and Next leaves. Next to the guy who works for the White House. Right, right. She yeah. gets up and leaves. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty shocking. And then, of course, she gets called away from the, the ladies' chitter-chatter because she has an important decision or an important conversation to make. Uh, um, yeah, I, I really... I really thought that with the ensemble cast, I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie. They pack a lot into two hours, right? But I really felt like this was her movie, you know, um, because it really does follow her evolution. Like like you said, I don't know if she's falling into the 
gender role so much as that's just where she's always been right yeah. like like she yeah. was born into that role and she talks about how her father gave the newspaper to her husband and she was perfectly comfortable with that like she was happy with that decision she never expected to be in this position and then yeah. then her husband uh killed himself and she ended up as the owner and publisher of the paper just by default and so I think a lot of this movie is kind of like how she does kind of like just bear down and break through the ice, you know, and, and become that person who is going to make that decision. Right. Like, like it's all about this process that she goes through, uh, you know, emotionally, you know, I have to say yeah. like with the conversation with her daughter and everything, like how she gets it together, she pulls her shit together and she's able to make this momentous, uh, you know, decision, which, frankly, impacts the rest of American history. You know, <laughs> it's not just like this little decision about her newspaper. It is like a a core tenet of democracy level decision that she makes, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really, really interesting part for Meryl Streep. And I really felt like she kind of... She kind of owned the movie. Like, she's there with Tom Hanks, um, but compared to her, he's in a supporting role, you know? Um, Like, he's definitely not the lead of the movie. It's not a small part, but I think she, if you had to pick one, I think she's the lead of this movie. Yeah, and uh, so, history with Meryl Streep. I don't really have any Meryl Streep roles that stand out in my mind as being oh that because she's always largely been considered like the greatest actress of all time in a lot of circles right anybody talks about great actresses Meryl Streep but I don't know that I've seen that many Meryl Streep films I've seen Death Becomes Her and I think that's it oh wow uh, um, man I just I just her her film selection doesn't seem to line up with my interests. Uh, I've not seen Out of Africa or Devil Wears Prada. These are just films that I just, uh, you know. Interesting. Interesting. And, and frankly, The Post is a film that I wouldn't really have watched. Uh, it's not something that interests me, generally speaking, if I'm free to choose whatever movie I watch next. Um, I'd probably watch. Ju- oh no, I've seen Doubt. Oh, that's I've a good seen one. Doubt. Oh damn, that's that a good is movie. A, that's a good yeah, ass movie. Um, that's a really good movie. Yeah, I she um, she to me is a selling point. So I like honestly, like I, I was kind of flippantly laughing about Mamma Mia earlier, but I think that's really what locked me in on her. Like I'm I'm a fan. Like I I like the Mamma Mia movie. I like her in it. Um, it, I, I had seen a lot of her films beforehand, but that's really the one that kind of like made her stick out in my mind and then and then you know i've since checked out a bunch of other films with her in it and of course i'd seen some before too but like to me she is she is a selling point for movies you know like i i I definitely oh she's in it all right i'll check it out you know yeah Um, she did the voice of blue mecca in ai yeah she's the blue fairy yeah when he's down at the bottom did we talk about that I don't remember we talked about her specifically. I've seen Bridges of Madison County. Death Becomes Her. 
I've seen She Devil. I remember seeing that. Yeah, you've seen all like the light comedies and stuff. Like yeah, the one where like, she's choosing which child to kill. You haven't seen, but <laughs> you've seen you've seen all the the funny fun stuff. Yeah, the lighter fare. Yeah, for sure. Um. So I I I so I particularly honed in on her on this film because of her status and you know her what's the word legacy of of being this incredible actor and uh yeah i really enjoyed her performance my favorite scene of her uh is actually when she goes to talk to the white house guy and say hey i've got these documents and he kind of pieces it together that you have these documents and at one point he's trying to be nice and kind and and just talk her into you know you don't really want to do that and trying to and then when it's clear she's not really moving he's like damn it nixon is an asshole and he starts yelling and her face she's like step back like oh shit like she's kind and then the other scene is where she finally stands up to the guy and she's like, "Bitch, I own this newspaper." Oh, the, the fuck up. when she turns on Bradley Whitford, yeah, that's yeah, that's a great moment. That's where she really like comes into her power. And she's just like, "Step back," you know, like like just yeah. kind of hits him with that with that one finger in the air, and uh, yeah, and he's kind of rocked back a little bit. My my, and then you just, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say my favorite scene with her is when she's on the phone and like six dudes jump on the phone call uninvited right right and yeah. she's trying to make the decision as to whether or not they're going to run, I love run the story and so she's Tom Hanks is like hey uh, uh i'm on the phone he goes yeah you're in my house <laughs> on my phone <laughs> um so she's going through and she's kind of surveying everybody you know and trying to like like gather different opinions so she can form her own opinion and like all of them are, except for Tom Hanks, are like, oh, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. And you just kind of see this look on her face. She kind of like squidges up a little bit. She's like, ah, oh, go ahead and do it. So it's like yeah. like the look that somebody has before they jump off a cliff, you know? <laughs> like they're just like, you know, she's she's just like, ah, just fuck it. We're going to do it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then like the sudden freedom that comes with that decision, you know, like uh, it's really good. Really, really good. Yeah. The, the, um, and the the movie does a great job of establishing how much trouble she's bringing upon the newspaper like how big that decision is right they do a great job of showing you the pros and the cons right uh and uh, you know tom makes his character he really doesn't have that much on the line at the end of the day i mean i guess he do they say he could go to jail? He could go to jail, yeah. But that's after this scene because they don't realize that the source is the same source that supplied the right. New York Times with their information. Um, but they do a great job of, of that. But there's also so many moments after she makes that call where it's like, hey, we got a problem. You know, like it just feels like everything along the way, they kept hitting wall after wall to get the story published. Uh, even after they get approval, they hit another wall when Jesse Plemons is like, hey, I need to know who your source is because it's illegal for us to publish if you got your source from the New York Times or if your source is the same as the New York Times source. And, you know, Bob Odenkirk knows it is. Nobody else does, you know, but uh, just really great stuff. Like you're like, ah, oh, they hit another wall. And eventually she's just like, they again, 
six dudes come in the house. They're all talking at her. And eventually she's like, this is my newspaper. That Odenkirk Let's run it, moment yeah. you're talking about is fantastic. Like that's that's like the best Odenkirk scene in the movie out of a bunch of good Odenkirk scenes. But that one where Jesse Plemons is trying to like he's just like doggedly coming after him for his source. It just keeps like rephrasing the question and kind of circling around him and Odenkirk and doing his job. Doing his doing job. Doing a great job of yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not a villain by any means, just doing what, right. what he needs to do. But Odenkirk keeps turning away from him and like facing the camera, you know, and you can see on his face how he's wrestling with it because he wants it so bad. He wants the story to go so bad. He knows he's got the scoop of the century and he just wants it. But yeah. eventually, like, he has to admit, like, ah, it's the same source, you know. No, there's yeah, exactly. There's a point where his face changes and he's like, damn it, you got me. Because at first... He's like, I need to know your source. And you can tell he's like, I'm not giving you my source. I don't have to give you my source. And uh, it's, did you get it from the New York Times? He's like, no, I didn't get it from the New York Times. And it's, he's very much like still confident that everything's ready to go. And then Plemons hits him with the truth bomb that he can't even deny himself, where he's just like, how confident are you that it's the same source? He goes, or a high likelihood. He's like, what's the likelihood? He's very, very high. And Plymouth just takes off. And he's like, oh, damn it. It's dead. <laughs> like, in that moment, he's like, this story is dead in the water now. Yeah, it is. Really good. It is really good. Um, there's a interesting podcast I could recommend. It's called Killed, K-I-L-L-E-D. And it's about uh, various stories being killed by newspapers and other publications uh, for similar reasons, you know, like whether it be a political or just unpopular and, you know, journalists having to work to get them out at, you know, like if it gets killed at one paper, it goes to another one. I think one of the episodes is all about um, Harvey Weinstein, you know, so really interesting podcast. If, if, if this if you dig this movie for the intrigue of getting a story out against all odds, um that's a good podcast to listen to. Oh, I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, I I think I will check that out. I've been just listening to the Batman podcast, <laughs> where they do the Batman, Batman Batman stories. Yeah, it's great. It's a bunch of it's like a lot of people from SNL, uh, and they got together and they do like dramatization of Batman stories. I'm way off with this Batman podcast, but yeah, it, I was closer. But it's uh, it's it's pretty good. Oh, uh, okay. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about the kind of interlinking that this movie reveals between the press and the politicians and how, how closely tied they are, you know, like Streep is basically best friends with McNamara. Right. Right. Um, Bradley. Is that his name? Tom Hanks, Bill Bradley, Ben Bradley, Bradley. like super, super close with JFK, like to the point where, after JFK is murdered, Jackie comes and like takes solace with their family. And and just how different that is from what we have today. At least I assume. Like I, I think it probably at that time, readers of the Washington Post probably had no knowledge that the high high level journalists and people in charge of the Washington Post were like so tightly in bed, you know, with with the politicians, you know, which kind of makes them high rollers themselves. You know, they have, yeah. they have sway, they have, you know, pull, uh, with, with these politicians. And in turn, the politicians assume 
that they have sway and pull over the journalists, which is a very hinky, dangerous place for that to be. You know, like separation of church and state. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Separation of journalists and politicians. Like it. It. It feels like it's almost a must, right? And the fact that well, this movie certainly makes the case for it. Yeah, the, and the, the fact that they have to kind of wrestle with that quietly and contend with it when they're making this decision, you know, like and the the kind of personal betrayal that Tom Hanks's character feels at the hands of JFK, right? There's that one great moment when the wife looks at the picture of the two of them and JFK and Jackie and she says that picture makes me sad. And he says, me too. And it's, it works on so many levels because it makes them sad because those were their friends and JFK was murdered and, you know, all this horrible stuff happened. But then on the other side of that equation is it makes it makes him sad because he knows that his friend was just lying through his teeth, you know, like was just an absolute fucking. There's a moment where I realized I was the source is what he tells Meryl Streep. Yeah. You know, like, uh that I was his source and uh, maybe even vice versa. It was this symbiotic relationship that he thought was a friendship. And he kind of uses that because Meryl Streep's character is very much, she has this friendship. And if she publishes the story, it's going to make him look bad and she cares about him, but he's, he puts the doubt in her head. Like, Hey, maybe it's not a friendship on his side. You know, maybe he's being symbiotic and uh, it is really good really good scene yeah yeah the writing the writing around that and how subtle it is like i I think you could probably watch this movie and kind of miss some of that some of the Mm -hmm. inferences there in some of those conversations because they don't put too fine of a point on it you know um but it is definitely a very real part of this that that they're having to wrestle with their personal relationships as well as the the political and legal ramifications of what they're doing yeah. Um, and, and so I'll tell you, the, the moment where the movie locked in for me was when Bob Odenkirk goes to the hotel and meets the guy with the papers and he's got them all on the bed and it's in that dark hotel room and the lights are all off because he doesn't want anybody to know he's there and he's sitting there and he sees the vast amount of evidence this guy has and you're like... That's when I turned, I was like, okay, now the stakes are raised. Because before, it was really all about this newspaper almost going out of business. I don't care. Like, just in general, I don't care. Uh, That's not interesting enough of a story to me. But now, like, you've got this insanely um, well-kept secrets ready to be exposed and in that moment i'm like okay now the stakes are high enough for me to be invested in what's going on and the tension level raises and that's kind of where i'm like all right let's go and and the movie definitely takes a step up at that point oh for sure and i love him as an actor matthew reese he's from uh, the americans and he's in a bunch of other stuff he's perry mason on hbo and he's just awesome that guy is great always um but yeah, I mean that I mean it's essentially WikiLeaks before computers, right? Like that yeah. that's what this dude did. Like he slowly systemically over a period of several months smuggled report after report after report out of this place and then painstakingly photocopied them with the world's slowest photocopier <laughs> one page at a time over a period of months until he had amassed 
this giant thing, you know, like, like he was a super spy. He just wasn't working for anybody, right? He was working yeah. for truth in the American people and all the people that were dying in Vietnam. Like that was who he was working for. So he, he just kind of took it upon himself. I'm going to do this crazy ass yeah. thing that could get me jailed for the rest of my life. Well, they show at the beginning, the opening scene of the film is him in Vietnam on the ground as a reporter, you know, like, and I thought there was going to be this sort of, they call him a long hair, which I guess is another way to say civilian. Um, the other, you know, infantry, and they're like, well, he's coming along, but there's no doubting his gumption because he's down in the shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that him being on the ground and seeing these young men probably dying was a kind of what drove him to go ahead and, and push to really get these secrets out here. Um, and so his motivations are really clear and make sense of why he's doing it. And yeah. Yeah. And just, just a side note, historically, uh, he got off scot-free. He was not jailed. He was not prosecuted. Um, it turned out that the FBI did a bunch of shady, shady shit to try to discredit him. They broke into, uh, his psychiatrist's office to try to find evidence that he was crazy, which did not work. Was this before Watergate? This was before Watergate. Yeah. This, okay. This is... That they did that. So they're used to breaking in. Yeah. Yeah. Things. Yeah. And then, uh, they also tapped his phone, uh, without a court order and it just did a bunch of illegal stuff trying to get evidence to prosecute him. And as a result, tainted their own case and the charges were dropped. So he, he did like just skate on that good. entire thing they do a good job there's a, a moment where jesse plemons is in court and they're like um if we have plans for uh a, a mission in russia is it okay for the the papers to publish it and jesse plemons is like well actually this is not the same situation this is years old data that is going out you know and it kind of establishes the difference and why publications like the post should have access to this and it should not be illegal for them to publish um, this information. So I actually kind of found this movie scary in a lot of moments where I'm like, man, our democracy is hanging on by a thread pretty much at all times. Oh, and way more and, now than, than before. Yeah, yeah. But also is it really that different than Nixon? You know, like there's this uh, they have a lot of what I believe to be real calls from the Nixon's office in the, in this film. And there's one where like, I don't want anyone from the Washington Post getting in here. You know, it is like, and if I have to, I'll fire you. And, and they're just that. What's the word like the the arrogance vindictiveness that you have the right. <laughs> to cover up these things and keep American people from being informed on what you're doing as the most powerful person in the nation. Well, yeah. uh, Matthew Reese has that moment in the interview where he just says it. He just like comes right out. And that's like the key of the movie is like, that's just a half step away from saying I am the state. Right. And that's, that's the problem. And and of course that's, I think probably the main reason why this movie was, pushed through as quickly as it was and made as quickly as it was because of what was going on in the real world right like that was what was happening i am the state was what was happening in in just five years ago four years ago three years ago in our 
uh, world was, you know, I'm the king. I'm not the president. I'm the goddamn king. And I'm going to tell them what they can and cannot publish. I'm going to call them liars. I'm going to, like, just redirect everything and obfuscate and just be, uh, you know. And, uh, yeah, so before (laughs) before we get into all that, um, I, I, I do think that your point about how scary it is and how we're hanging on by a thread is really um, true because what this movie made me think about is how at this time it seems like they're kind of surprised at the levels to which the government is hiding things and lying and covering things up. Whereas like in my adulthood, at least from, from the nineties on, um, like I became an adult right when the first Gulf War was breaking out, right? So George Senior and that whole thing. Um, but from everything from there on, like I've proceeded with the assumption that they're lying all the time and covering up a whole bunch of stuff, you know. And I think like the American people, if they're naive enough to think that that's not happening now, then they're just like not paying attention, right? Like, yeah. Like I, I fully think that the government is engaged in a whole bunch of shady shit and it's been proven time and again like the iran contra thing and you know all that stuff that clinton got into with the arms and like like over and over and over again it's shown that there's these these shady things going on that are hidden from the american people and uh just how how shitty that is you know like these are our elected representatives this is the government that's supposed to be working in our best interest these people are working for us like we are literally paying their salaries right we are the ones that keep them in office as much as they try to cheat and scheme to change the terms so they can keep in office longer in the end they are supposed to be working for us and the fact that they you know classify things as for national security and this and that and the other uh and and just hide the shadiest shit you know and just behave in whatever way they want in the name of secrecy and security um it's just galling (laughs) like it's just really galling it it is terrifying and we need and the movie does a great job of really showing you why we need free press and just how important that is. And um, and and the movie does a great job of making me being like, yeah, you know, these sort of things are so important that we can have journalists and people go and investigate and tell the people um, for whatever reason. Because, you know, anything can be corrupted and the press certainly has. And the film doesn't even stry, you know, like we've said, even the subtlety of my friend is JFK, it, you know, that affects things. Yeah. So, um, but I'm totally on board. And then, like, it it is so, (laughs) it it got me. Because after this, I started, uh, so this movie ends right at Watergate, right? There's a line where Meryl Streep's like, well, I hope I don't have to go through something like this again, which is kind of hammy. And then it leads, you see the guy discovering that someone had broken into Watergate. 
Yeah, it, it's it's funny because like in this movie they're dealing with a grenade and they don't know that a nuke is about to go off. You know, <laughs> like, it's like it's so much worse so quickly. Um, it's funny because when it ended, my wife was like, "That's it. That's that's where it's going to end." And I was like, "Yeah, but check this out." And I went over, like, scrolled over to uh, all the president's men and put on the trailer for it. And it starts with the exact same shot. It's like the guys, like the shot from outside the water gate with the guys with the flashlights and the guy coming up to the door with the tape on the door. Like it's the exact same thing. So it really does just drop you right at the doorstep of all the president's men about Watergate, which is, uh, well, I listened to a podcast yesterday. I, I watched the movie yesterday and then I immediately downloaded the American scandal, the podcast. They have a series on Watergate and I, listening to that because i'm like and you get more and more of just all the shit nixon does you know like and then it makes me wonder how many trumps we've had it's just that he's too stupid to cover up, right you know? he's like, too vocal about it yeah like there's that like i don't buy you could be doing some crazy stuff and I, you know what he probably has some things i'm like ah, i don't know about this but we won't know, you know, and it's interesting because it's just terrifying in the scope of the story of this film. Nixon isn't really the bad guy here. Like, like he's bad in that he's trying, right. he's trying to oppress the, the press, right? Like he's trying to, it, well, shut, that's his greatest, to, well, not his greatest sin, but that's like the big one. Right. Right. But uh, as far as like the stuff in the report goes, it's not even about him. Right. Like it's about. The other guys who were maybe even his political rivals, right? Like, yeah. he's not trying to, like, protect himself by keeping this report under wraps. He rap- ran against Kennedy at a point. Right. He's trying to protect yeah. the system. He's trying to protect the reputations of the people that he was against back in the day because he's trying to keep that system of secrecy and, you know, lies. Because he's intact. got other he's got his stuff own, in the closet. Right? He's got his own secrecies and lies. So if they open that door a little bit and let this slide out, then, you know, everybody else is going to kick the door wide open. And, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, speaking of, of Kennedy and so on, uh, I was chatting with my wife this morning and we were talking about, like, how at this point in history when this movie takes place it was proven proven beyond a doubt to the american people that kennedy and johnson and eisenhower were complicit in this giant cover-up right and it cost yeah bazillions of dollars and thousands and thousands of american lives like so many innocent people were drafted and sent over there and killed and you can lay a lot of that right at Kennedy's feet, right? Like he was complicit. It was proven he did this, right? And then right. when you think about the way that Kennedy is represented these days in modern culture and and even in history classes, doesn't even touch on it, right? Like you don't like like you were saying, you didn't even know that the Vietnam War went back that far, right? Because like right. we're not taught about it. And that started me thinking about the nature of the, like the news cycle and how things bubble up mm-hmm. and come to the attention of the American people. But if you just wait, if you just wait, it bubbles right back down again, you know, and stuff gets forgotten and just swept under the carpet. And and history remembers remember certain things, but it doesn't remember everything. And not everything that comes to light stays in the light. 
with a long-term scope of history, right? Like, like things are forgotten. Things are, you know, Kennedy's was martyred, right? Like he was killed. And so now like on a very high level cultural basis, he's thought of as this bright, progressive, smart person who was killed before his time. Right. And and, right. And, and, and and then, you know, with a subtext of he was a womanizer and Marilyn Monroe and all that shit. Right. But that that's like as far as it really goes, as far as the way that he's represented, you know, in modern culture. And, and it's funny because, yeah, it was like I said, it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a shitty, shitty guy in a lot of ways. And that's just gone. You know, unless you're looking specifically at things like this film or books about the era or things on this specific topic, right? Like, people don't know. Well, and he gets a lot of credit for the Cuban Missile Crisis, even though, was he the one that started the Bay of Pigs, right? You know, (laughs) I mean. It was his fault. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) it it is, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I. found there are a lot of parallels and things i look at now in the world i mean because to me like the the you know trump had a lot of sins but to me like the biggest one was trying to overturn an election like you did a lot of things that were horrible but the people have spoken and he just tried to undo and a lot of his people followed him uh into just saying you know what we don't care that you voted this way and i mean like the freedom of the press and the the sacredness of the vote are the things that we need to make sure we keep in place right to keep that we give you this much power but we got to have the ability to say go and then have people in place that have the ability to tell everyone what you're doing and this movie really just shines light on the latter piece of that and how it's corrupted and how the, they're in their own fights, you know? Yeah. And then the law even comes into place and it goes to court, you know? Like, it goes before the Supreme Court. And then at the end, just like, six to three, yay! And I'm like, three people at that level of power voted against it? Oh, like, well, what, that's, what would happen if it went why to the wasn't Supreme it Court unanimous? now? Like, if it went to the Supreme Court now jesus god they wouldn't even win right you know like yeah the 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 situation is so complex right now with politics and journalism it's it's it could be its own podcast series that never ended right like well there's sure there's some out there like you've got (laughs) you've got you know the entire concept of fake news, which originally became a phrase because it was referring to real fake news that was started on like troll farms and put online on social media and was put forward as like real news. And then people would get confused about what was real and what was fake. Right. That was that was the origin of the phrase fake news. Right. Right. Like literal fake things that were put online as though they were real. And then our buddy Trump just started throwing it around and pushing it on real news stories that he just didn't like. He started pointing at it and right. saying, that's fake news, that's fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, until it became so prevalent in the culture 
They all started calling things fake news. Stuff that you don't like, you just point it out and say, oh, that's fake news. It's not real. It's lies. The journalisms are liars. They're liars. They're liars. They're liars. And then, on the other side of things, you've got the journalists that actually are liars, right? Like, yes. <laughs> like you've got a whole network of liars who are who know they are liars, and now we're in one of these situations where it is being proven in court that they are liars, and there's all this evidence that they're liars. The people that engage with them don't even know they're liars because they don't report on the fact that they're being outed as liars, and that's the only news source that they engage with, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's crazy. It is absolutely insane what's going on in our nation right now with politics and journalism. Like, it's yeah. it's mind-bogglingly frustrating. Like, I went to visit my mom yesterday. I just dropped in, and they were sitting there watching Fox News, and I was like, how can you watch this? How can you watch? And then I realized, even though I've told them a million times, they don't know. Because it's the only thing they watch. So they don't know. They don't know, like, what's going on in the courts and, like, how they're being, you know, sued and this and that and the other and all the evidence that's come out and the text messages and this and that. No idea. They have no clue that that's even happening, you know. And that Tucker Carlson is on record denying the things he he said not not denying (laughs) them, say, but acknowledging the fact that he lied about them. Right. All the time. To everyone. And it's like... Even the guy you trust is lying behind your back. I, I just it, it and it, and I I I am not immune, right? I'm sure there are plenty of things where I uh, want to hear what I want to hear. I'm sure there are, but I hope that I'm the type of person when I see the truth, right, that I'll be like, ooh, well, you know. That's the problem. Then is that then the other side of the equation in order to combat how slanted the one side is, start slanting the other way, right? And so, like, it becomes this situation where it's like, who who is going to tell me the truth, right? Like, is anybody out there still giving unbiased journalism? Like, is unbiased journalism even a concept that exists anymore, you know? And how how can we know it when we see it? How can you identify? Like, I... I look at NPR, but I know that NPR is a very liberal source, right? And although I am a liberal person, I acknowledge that it is slanted, (laughs) you know? Same thing with CNN, you know? CNN positioned itself as the anti-Fox, right? And so, as a result, it's slanted further and further to the left. And so, like, I don't know where to go for that middle-of-the-road objective journalism anymore like i i don't know if there is like every newspaper that is out there you know wall street journal right you know washington post left or new york times left you know so it's it's really hard to say if there are any anymore that can really claim you know believably so (laughs) i don't know that anyone is i think everyone is naturally biased that being said the best thing we can do is acknowledge that Right. Um, You know, it's like when you watch any reviews of something on YouTube, they always have to be like the they sent this to me. You know, they have to be up front. I I was sent this product buy them for free. That way, you know, and I think you write reviews for games. Of course, you have to put this code. We were provided this game by. Absolutely. Yes. Microsoft or whoever. Yeah. Right. And that is like saying up front, hey, here's a possible source of bias. 
we're going to do our best to give you everything direct, but there's we're humans and there's subconscious, right? And, uh, you know, a game that you spend your money on and a game you get for free, even though, you know, there's still an emotional attachment, right? Between like the one you fork your money over for, you're kind of going to want that to be good. You know, <laughs> I did spend money on this, uh, but I just I, I think it's best that we can acknowledge like if I, I would have a whole lot less problem with Fox News are like, hey, we're the Republicans favorite newscast, you know, and just own it. You know, we are hard right leading and MSNBC, we lean hard to the left. And, you know, someone in the middle can, you know, uh, rooters or whoever can be like, well, we try to be as neutral as possible, but a lot of us are registered Democrats, right. Or whatever, you know, just, just let me know. Right. So when I see a story from Fox news that bags and buries a Republican leader, I feel pretty comfortable thinking that that's probably true. <laughs> like they undeniably cannot avoid the fact that it is beyond, you know, like even now they're turning on Trump. Right. And they're like, you at that point, you have to be like, OK, I guess Trump is bad when the source that's been backing him up and is openly right leaning, you know, and when the left leading sites will talk about Biden and criticize him. I feel like that's a safe bet, right? Yeah, yeah I have to say that was um, always the most fun during the Trump administration when Fox did when he would do something like so fucked up that Fox News would be like, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> too much, too much, uh, which, you know, interesting. Um, but yeah, you're right. That is that is a safe bet when when they're willing to critique the people on their own uh, slanted side, their side. Yeah. Yeah. Which they don't. But anyway, uh, also, I don't watch the, the channel. So, hey, w what do I know? You know, I've long since turned that one off. But uh, so at the end of this film that we were reviewing about 40 minutes ago, <laughs> um, you see Meryl Streep. She makes those calls, says, go publish, run it. And then like the movie ends with her in the printing room watching them make the paper and you know and you get this feeling okay now she owns it right it she is invested in what the paper is doing she wants to know how it works and now she pub she's the publisher now she runs this company and i thought that that was a moment in the movie where i was like ah there we go like it just kind of sunk in like she gets it she's on board now yeah and then the final message is buckle up <laughs> Yeah, that again. I I found that to be a bit on the the cheesy side of like, man, I don't think I could go through that again. Watergate, and you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I, like I liked that it ended at Watergate. I thought that was great. Like when it cuts away, uh, you, the camera's panning out, and you see the flashlights, like you said, and you're like, oh, Watergate, and and that immediately, like you said, makes you want to keep the listen to more of the story in my case, or watch all the president's men. And I think I might put on all the president's men on it. It's on HBO max right now. Um, because the story in the latter half of the movie is so compelling and, and scary and interesting 
that it, you want to keep it going. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. It, it really does get cranking to the point. You know, it's like Lincoln. Like we talked about Lincoln. You get to the end, and you're like, I kind of want to know more. Like <laughs> I'm kind of into this. You know. Um, yeah, and it's it's funny that there is a ready-made fifty-year-old sequel sitting there yeah. sitting there waiting to be watched you know it's pretty cool speaking of lincoln i just you know just a quick parallel we've already talked about everything i had for the end so i don't have much but um i did i did have a brief moment where i was kind of thinking about lincoln and the artificial extension of wars right like here we have two movies very close together and key plot points in both of them are about how presidents kept wars going for their own uh interests right against the advice against the advice of others you know or whatever and and just how different those two situations were right and how you can kind of look at it as where the country once was and where the country was when this happened and versus where the country is now and so on um you know and, and lincoln is you know, he's extending this war. He is costing the lives of Americans, um, each each of which is valuable in its own priceless way, you know. Uh, but his end game is to end slavery, right? And then here we have, you know, a hundred years later, these bozos extending this war in Southeast Asia. Why? Because they don't want to be the one to end it, right? Like, it's just the dumbest goddamn thing. Like, because they don't want to be the one that lost the first war for America, you know? And it's funny because America's been taking L's ever since, right? Like, you know, what have we won, quote, won since then? Yeah. We hung Saddam. That was questionable behavior you know like like, we went and sent some dudes in to kill uh osama bin laden that was probably not our shiniest moment even though you know that guy probably pretty much deserved to die but you like like the wars we've been in since have been such shit shows and just like undefinable goals so undeclarable victories and then they just kind of seem to just peter out Right, like, like we left yeah. Afghanistan well, the same way we left Vietnam. Like, pile everybody yep. on helicopters, get the hell out, and then the people left on the ground are like, "What the fuck? Where are you going?" You know, like, like Vietnam has become the norm, more or less. Like, as far as our quote wars go, um, there's not been such a clear cut uh, war since, so there hasn't been any clear cut victories. You know, like. It's just like we hang out for a while, we cause a big ruckus, we make a big mess, and then we just leave, you know? Yeah. Gross. So it's, um, I heard a, a, a podcast episode on the podcast Ridiculous History, um, and the episode is called Operation Northwoods. Um, I, my dad, um, who I love, who has passed away, uh, was also a 9-11 truther. Uh, he believed that 9-11 was an inside job. It was kind of where he was in his life. He kind of bought into all the conspiracies. And I was like, Dad, why? You know, and it's like, well, they oil and they want power. And I'm like, whatever, Dad. And I do not believe that. I'm saying that right now before I continue with what I'm about to say. I don't believe that 9-11 was an inside job. But it is not 
historically unfounded that the U.S. has planned to attack itself in order to engage in war. Go check out that podcast episode, Operation Northwoods. It's terrifying because uh, I think it was Eisenhower wanted to get into a war, so they planned to attack themselves and make it look like Cuba did it. And when you get to that point, and again, I don't believe that 9-11 was an inside job. But you think about the World War II and you think about Pearl Harbor and how important it was for the Americans to get involved and how they didn't want to get involved because we're on the outside look again. It's I I don't believe that Pearl Harbor was an inside job. I also want to state that very clearly. <laughs> At times, though, I have so little faith in our government and their care for our lives that I cannot put it past them. I am 100% I on board. I do not believe that Pearl Harbor and 9-11 were inside jobs. I do not believe that. That's all I got to say. I, I think your cynicism is well-founded, though. I mean, that's just what I was saying earlier. Anybody that doesn't like think that is just being naive. Like, I have a policy with celebrities, right? Assume they are monsters, rather than good people right so that way when a jonathan majors thing happens or when you know like they are revealed to be you know horrible abusive nightmarish people then you're just like ah well of course because they're all monsters right (laughs) i'm sure like many celebrities are not monsters but i think it's easier to go with the assumption that they are so you don't get your feelings hurt when they turn out to be monsters right? right and i feel the same way about the government like I will put nothing past the government. Like, like, right. like I, I have zero faith in their caring for me as a human being beyond my ability to cough up tax dollars. Right. Like, I just I don't think they give a shit about us. And I w- certainly would not put it past them to uh, drop a bomb on San Francisco or some fucking crazy thing to bring us into a war if they think it's in the, the interest of the country. You know, like, uh yeah yeah i'm i'm with you i also i'm gonna link that podcast episode that is my my source that i remember listening to it and just being like holy shit like because i mean the reason that conspiracy theories get traction is there's that element of yeah that kind of makes sense you know some of them are crazy pizzagate and the QAnon shit was just so batshit it was stupid. But some of them are founded in things that you're like, uh, that does kind of make sense. You know, it's the old uh, why would, you know, pharmacies want to cure cancer? They sell a lot of cancer medicine. Right. And you hope that it's not true. You pray that it's not true. But man, history really shows us that money and power affect the mind the small amount of the people who lead our country in various ways not just politically but in healthcare and all these other places that their bottom line isn't the people it's the money and it's the power and it's very terrifying oh on a day-to-day they act against our own self-interest like against our interests you know like the oil companies are just destroying the environment and, and like 
that just happens all the time because they're rich and they can push policy through even though it's just killing all of us you know right. like it, there's a million examples of that the gun lobby the like there's really got so many examples of things that are against the interest of your average everyday american that are you know polished up packaged up and sold to people and while at the same time through back doors they're like greasing it up and donating money to politicians to push it through you know um yeah i'm with you yeah i i I also have a very very healthy suspicion slash cynicism (laughs) when it comes to the government i I begrudgingly voted for biden right and i just was like i don't i don't think i mean he's better than the alternative yeah Uh, how much better i don't know you know i i just it's it's terrifying and i try not to think i tend to be a very light-hearted person one of the reasons i like comedies it's a safe place to go you know (laughs) it's just a safe place watching jonah hill and uh channing tatum Channing Tatum join the cops uh, and go back to high school. I, I just I need it on occasion. Um, so yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, it's funny with our with our podcast because we normally kind of like oh, let's not get too political. And this one we're just like ah, oh, fuck it. The, you, there's no way to discuss the this movie, movie forces without. You yeah, to. the movie forces you to have these conversations. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap it up. I think we've we've gone far enough down the rabbit hole. Uh, well. Talking of lighter fare, um, uh, we will ne- we will be back next week with our final bonus episode of the Spielberg season. Uh, we'll be watching Jurassic World Dominion. And, of course, our very own Dinosaur Boy will return uh, as we check that out next week. And then after that, it's the, f- the, the final three. Ready Player One, West Side Story, and The Fablemans. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to all all yeah. of them. I think there'll be good conversations, if not good films. And uh, uh, oh, 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 yeah, <laughs> uh, okay. I had to take a second to process what you said. Good conversations, yes. Good films. Hey, Ready Player One. So yeah, yeah. I got. I've, I just ordered the 3D Blu-ray for that bad boy today. So oh, God. it'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. I actually own it because I bought it again because it was like six bucks on Google or whatever. I was like. Uh, all right. Because <laughs> we were doing the podcast, like, ah, I'm going to have to watch it again. So, right. um, well, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, you can. You can go to Spielberg Chrono on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow, while you're there, Eric at Eric underscore Hotter. You can follow myself at Podcast by Jeff. You can check out my other podcast, the 10 Week Pro Wrestling Crash Course, which is completed and you can binge it now. Uh, you can also check out the movie Draft House, where Mark and I review movies. And why not do one more movie podcast, Film Soliloquy, which releases whenever we get to it, so it's a low commitment. Uh, also check out Gaming Nexus for all of Eric's written gaming reviews, all nice safe places to not have to worry about the fact that they're all out to get us. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all. <laughs>